went with your recommendation the other night of the uh, the the skewers, the kebabs yeah. over the rice with the sauce. Pretty good. Pretty good, huh? Anna V got Did the lasagna. Got she got the mushroom lasagna. That shit's good. Sausage and mushroom? No. Chick, it's chicken and mushroom. But did you do one chicken, one steak kebab, or did you do yeah, two I steaks? Yeah, I did one of each. Your, your father-in-law was joyous as always. <laughs> you went there with Marini and his uh, wife? Mm-hmm. She's cool, huh? Oh, yeah, Meg's is awesome. She don't hold off. She don't hold back. Is she still liquor yeah, sales? Yeah, just got a big promotion. Big one. Um, but, yeah, the place is uh, – that that dish was awesome. The lasagna was awesome, and then they brought us out without even asking. They brought us out a uh, a round of cream, and then your girl brought me a special uh, taffy or the toffee one. I had a couple bites of that. I don't eat ice cream. I don't eat sweets a lot. This time of year, though, I've been finding myself like craving candy corn. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Peanut M and M's, and rollos of all things i, I have rollos. one bite of a rollo dude my daughter had a little one the other day and i took a bite of it and i was like good god how could you not just eat this shit why the can't this roll. be good for you yeah why can't it just be good for you but they brought out that 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 what is it called the toffee one coffee toffee dude that shit is good it's did you good. have you had the espresso chocolate one well yet? they were gonna they brought it out and the, but the, my favorite one of the whole night was marini and i didn't even know you made black cherry oh yeah i've never had black cherry you've never brought a, a pint of black cherry really yet. I don't think so. I think I have. I've I always, always had the blueberry. There's black cherry, yeah. Uh, did you bring some today? No, That's I didn't know. That's weak. Weak. That, somebody else asked me for some out there. Black cherry? Or some no, just, just ice, ice cream, cream in general. general? Probably Tom. Tom well, I, got a bunch, I got a bunch of open shit. I should have brought them out. Why, why didn't you? I just didn't. I actually had to stop at the post office on my way here. So I'm having a little Halloween get together Saturday. Can you come by? I'll be deer hunting with my brother and is, your brothers. Is that where y'all are going this weekend? It's pretty much. It's the only time he can go, and it's his season's almost over. Where's the uh, tag? Via or you know, are you going 12, up 13. to you going up to sons of bitches. Yeah. Are you? We're not going to stay there, but we're going up. Did you see some deer up there when you were up there last weekend? Yeah, we saw. Nothing big. Obviously, Lavore killed that one. Uh, Jared's daughter Ainsley killed that one, and then we saw we saw like four or five bucks that were early morning uh, coming off of a water uh, hole. Nothing big, but I don't know. We're gonna. I think we're gonna try and hunt for a big one for a couple of days, and then maybe kill a meat deer if we well, can't find a big one. He needs the food. Yeah. Big family. Yeah, that's right. Did he get married? It's like the Brady Bunch. He's got Did he get six, married? He's six kids. Six sons. Six, six sons. He's got three sons and three stepsons. And could you imagine the smell of their laundry? Oh, my God. God, dude. dude. I can't even handle being around one, like, Jim Ray's son, Murphy. Like, I'm oh, like, dude. you reek. Dude. I, I hope we didn't smell like that when we were teenagers. After baseball practice and after wrestling and all the... Oh, man, can you imagine the pain my mom went through with three boys? You guys had three boys, Every, every too. sock stuck together. But what about... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, have old way, spice, we have old spice high endurance now. uncalled for, dude. When I was in high school, all we had was like that spray-on right guard, dude, that like wasn't even good. Oh, yeah. Kids now should smell great. Yeah, they all stink. Did you know that I got teased by some of our young producers, specifically... Jack and Eli in New York, they caught me using a bottle, a can of Axe body spray and lit me up. Oh, dude. They said, you don't use that. That's like, that's like high school. You, you're going to smell like a high school. I go, that's what I want to smell like, dude. Like what's wrong with body spray? They tease me for using body spray. I thought it was cool. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm off of it too. I, I, Jilly, Jilly's mom saw me use it one day and literally they all just like clowned on me. So now I have to buy a $50 bottle of cologne. I, yeah, never I don't used even to, use cologne. I, I used, haven't used cologne since obsession days in high school. Well, I'm back on cologne now because they made fun of the Axe body spray. But I Axe love body spray is deodorant and cologne mixed. I know. So th- apparently we're dorks for using it. I used to love it too. I used to love freaking going to get obsession at Macy's. But 50 I, bucks a bottle, dude. It's, it's not even that more any, now. It's got to be way more than that it's, now. I was going right? to say it's even more now. That's what it was back in the day yeah. before this they recession. They still sell obsession, dude. Do they really? Calvin Klein is that still that got all that? Yeah. Is that Calvin Klein? I think so. His yeah. obsession, right? Yeah. I think I'm wearing one that's a little bit older, but not that old. But you wear you wear cologne? 
So yeah, I don't get to use body spray anymore. Because Jilly teased well, you. Well, Jilly's mom says it's bad for you. That like you you know you're not supposed to wear like antiperspirant. So I just wear deodorant, which I always only ever wore deodorant. But also, why? Because it messes with your cells, your the, sweat, the spray, your sweat glands, and you're shit? spraying chemicals on yourself that aren't good for you. Well, what about like suntan lotion? That's bad for you too. But, but you have to kind of use it. But what about Diet Coke? Bad for you. But they, people have been drinking it since the 80s. Doesn't mean it's good for you. Well, doesn't mean it's bad Cigarettes, for you. they've been smoking since the 50s. We know they're bad for you. Yeah, but I've never heard of anybody at a funeral go, yeah, he got the he got the Diet Coke jitters and fucking <laughs> yeah, fell out. No. <laughs> Haven't you seen them two girls on My 600-Pound Life where they say, she says, what, what, do you, uh, what, do you, what do you drink during the day? And they say, sodies. Diet sodies, and she says, Diet sodies. She said, Yeah, our mom told us if you have a sugar, have a diet soda, and it cancels it out. And they're both 600 pounds. <laughs> diet soda. Diet, so, you ever heard Trump say, I never seen a skinny dr- guy drink a diet Coke? No, it's true. Yeah, they're terrible for you. But everything's terrible for you. I know. That's what I'm saying, though, is that you go into McDonald's. There's a comedian that said that one time. You go in there and get a Big Mac and a, a large fry and then a Diet Coke. Like, what are you saving? But there is something to be said about eating your calories. 100%. I but, would rather have a zero-calorie drink and save it for a 110-calorie beer, for sure. <laughs> I pretty much drink water all day just so that too. I can have Look 10 beers. Yeah, Look at that. But, a flask cap full of water. Right. It's pretty much it's all the way I do. to go. Yeah. And then you got – you figure if you – if avoid having any kind of a calorie based drink all week long, then you've got a cache of beers that you can drink pretty much guilt free. Well, that's the same ideology of being a social alcoholic, then. Yeah. Because one drink a day or two drinks a day is not considered that. But if you save them all for the weekend, then you're an alcoholic. <laughs> no. Who what? came up with that? Well, I mean, if you have eight drinks or 10 drinks in a night, you're hammered drunk. That's sure. what alcoholics do. But if you haven't had them all week long, it's just like I said, you got a cache of them built up. It's like a credit debit system, dude. Is it really? I is that so. how you roll? That's how I Did roll. Did you drink last night on a Monday? Yep. But because I, you... I went out to dinner. Where'd you go? Uh, Napa Bistro in the Atlantis. I was in Napa yesterday. Were you? Actual Napa. I had the most amazing. First off, I want to hear what you had at Napa Bistro because I had the most amazing Italian lunch yesterday. It was phenomenal. I ate with the Particelli family down at Napa Valley Olive Oil at their mom's house. She's she's over off the boat. She came off the boat. What she doesn't speak down. English. We him her and her son Ray Ray and their his son, her grandson Stefano, who's the oldest son there. Um I'm gonna not gonna tell you until you tell me yours. It was amazing how good this was, dude. It was We we had uh so we had lobster escargot, which was Ooh, that's unbelievable. Good. That's good. Uh, and a, and a baked brie appetizer, you know, with just bread, which was really good. And then uh, I had a uh, like a French onion soup in a served in a in a hollowed out onion, which was good. No, no bread. It didn't have the bread thing on it, which was weird. But um, and then uh, I had prime rib with uh, potatoes, and it had something else with it right now, and I can't remember what it was. Vegetables. It was good. So no Italian sauce? Uh, No. The lobster escargot was pretty good, though? Oh, it was really good. Fresh? Yeah. Just it just oil and lobster and garlic, tons of garlic. And then, oh, I had a, the drink part of it was uh, we had a couple bottles of red wine. That's the worst. The worst that's to the drink? Worst. I mean, that's the highest sugar, highest calorie probably – it's good Alcohol. for your heart, though. So is it really? It's kind of like the cash we're talking it's, about. It's the credit system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I'm going to gain heart. two pounds of cholesterol through this meal, but the wine's going to counter it all out. And they say one glass a day, so I had four, so I'm good for like four days right now. So you're not going to have wine for four days, but that doesn't count beer. I'm probably now. I won't drink. See, now I won't have anything tomorrow, Wednesday, or Thursday, and then Friday I'll be back deer hunting and I'll be drinking beers. You won't sure. have one beer before you leave Friday. I doubt it. Unless, I don't know, something comes up, but Unless I probably doubt it. you have one during the podcast with Clint today. Oh, always God, I am going to have one today. Two. <laughs> Two today for sure. Two to three. Yeah. Wow. We had braised ribs that were um, served with must- Italian mustard greens that were absolutely amazing. They're like collard greens, but the way that they prepare them with the olive oil and the seasonings and red chili pepper flakes. Man. Absolutely insane. These ribs were braised and then 
simmered like in a probably like a medium heat with their Napa Valley olive oil in it. And they just keep shaking the pot. They don't smoke them. They don't, they cut them before they, they cut the rack before they do this. They stuff them all down into this oil and they just keep using tongs and, you know, popping them and getting some on the grease, some off the grease. And they just low, I should say oil instead of grease, but just low temperature. And they just let them slow cook. Dude, I'm talking like the the bite of these ribs was so awesome. I, I didn't expect it either. I thought the meat was just going to be soggy and fall off the bone. It was amazing. Serve that. They took chicken. They took the chicken um, on the thigh bone. Chicken thighs with skin and fat on. Same thing. Big pot, little bit of olive oil. They put them in there and they just start letting that letting them cook down. And all that oil and all that fat from that skin and chicken fat's getting in there and the meat. And it's starting to, you know, it starts to, uh, you know, kind of become a roux. That's It starts to just keep cooking off. And all you're doing is browning that chicken meat. You're not cooking it all the way through. You're just getting the skin to really start, you know, releasing the oils and the fat a little bit. And it starts to create a roux. And then they use, they take that chicken out of there with the... Um, with all the bones and everything, they take that out and they sit it and they on a cookie sheet. Then they put the sausage in there and they do the same thing. They let some of those oils cook out of that sausage into that chicken, chicken fat and that chicken broth and that chicken juice that come out of this chicken. And that, and then they take the sausage out, right? And that is the base for their pasta sauce. Oh my god! So then they put a little flour, tiny bit of flour in there, and then they start adding the tomatoes and then the tomato paste and then the fresh parsley. And then they put the garlic in, you know, later because they don't want to burn the garlic. And then while that sauce starts to get going, now they put the chicken and the sausage back in there and they let the rest of that meat cook down into that sauce. And then they just continuously add water. So if the sauce starts to cook down, they add a little bit more water. They don't, on pasta sauce, you want to dress your noodles. You don't want to just glob a bunch of shit on top right. of them, right? So that you want to dress them. So they see it start to get down a little bit. They'll add a little bit more water and then they'll taste it. They'll be like, oh, that's a little too thick. It's a little bit too watery. They'll add a little bit more paste if they need to. And then they get that paste and that consistency of water to tomato paste mixed with all that chicken and sausage juice, bro. They take it out. They take the chicken out and it's got some, you know, it's got some sauce on it. They take the sausage out. They serve the chicken and the sausage in this pan over here, in this serving dish over here. Then they put their, their al dente noodles were absolutely perfect. They put those noodles in the rest of that chicken broth and that tomato and that paste and that water and that garlic and fresh parsley. I keep hammering on that fresh parsley because it's everything in Italian cooking. Yeah. Then they cook that sauce. They just keep stirring those noodles in that sauce. Then they add fresh parm and just keep melting that fresh parm in there. Oh, dude. You Then you take the noodles and you put it and then you put your sausage and your chicken to the side or on the top. Put it on the side. Then you got your mustard green with your rib, Right. The appetizer before that was two things. It was actually three things. Fresh mozzarella bar balls and tomatoes. The last tomatoes out of their home their home garden of the year. Smoked salmon on a really nice Italian cracker. They were using cream cheese. I was using a high-end wine cheese with a little bit of green onion or red onion and capers. Mm. Dude. That smoked salmon was an unbelievable bite. I call them bites now because that's how this guy talks. Like, that's a good bite right there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the salmon, yeah, the mozzarella balls with the tomatoes, the caprese, as, as they call it. And then they had a um, anchovy with fresh parsley, garlic, and olive oil. I, got, I brought some home. I, I brought a bunch of anchovies home, too, because I do this same recipe. They taught it to me. So those were the three appetizers. You got fresh bread that you dip in that freaking mm. anchovy freaking deal. So you're already like way off your diet on this. Oh, day. yeah. There is no diet there. So then the last piece of this puzzle was the rib. They got the ribs, the mustard green, the chicken and the sausage, the noodles, which were unbelievable. And then tripe with the same way they take the tripe. They take the honeycomb and the flats and they boil it. Right. Because when you boil stomach lining, you want to get all everything out of it. Right. You don't want to have any chance of anything being stuck in there. So they boil it and they clean it up. Then they take it out of that water. They throw that water out. They pat them down. They clean them off with a rag, get all the film off of them and all that and rinse it off a little bit. And now that tripe goes back in the pot in just the same manner that I told you of the chicken or the sausage or the ribs. And they start with cooking it down. 
and then adding a little bit of the tomato and it's a completely different tomato recipe it's got more white onion in it it's got the garlic in it still has the fresh parsley and it's got basil in it and dude you don't try it yeah stomach lining of a cow a lot of people eat it menudo soup in the spanish or basque form pho too in pho you can get tripe and pho and it's all right in pho dude it was unbelievable every bite of the honeycomb and the flats were amazing that was a freaking monday lunch at oh, this house yesterday you lost me at the tripe but dude, I'm, was, a, I'm, I'm slightly uneducated on the tripe but you would have loved it you would have absolutely yeah. loved the tripe i don't know guaranteed so, you but you're you you're gonna go into all that and you're gonna tell me you didn't have a glass of red wine with that oh and two glasses of okay, red wine all right because i i mean and where you two sitting outside like it, it strikes me as like dude you guys are sitting around the kitchen we were gonna sit outside like in the jardinia but it was too freaking hot. It's 80, 88 degrees. I know it's crazy. It's still hot over there, huh? Way hot. You want to know? And you probably had this. Uh, my buddy's mom, same, you know, right off the boat. And uh, I remember it's like it was yesterday in like fifth grade. We we were just over at his house, and the grandma goes out in the garden and grabs like two tomatoes. I think it was literally like tomatoes, garlic, oil, and she made like a spaghetti sauce out of that. But it was like. The tomatoes were still fresh. You know I what do, I mean? I, ever... do, I do. I mean, I'm not trying to brag, but I I told Ray Ray yesterday, I said, Ray, I, I have tried to master pastas, like sauces and gravies. And I told him my ways to do it. And I said, but I can't. This is unreal. Like, this is so much better. This is Italy right here. It was just like being yeah, in Italy. because that's pretty much it is, right? I made a pizza sauce last week. We did pizzas in this new pizza oven we got. And I made a pizza sauce where I did it. I explained it to Ray. It's like, oh, you're doing it perfect. You add your paste at the end, thicken it up. Don't, you know, a lot of people just put tomato sauce in there and then a bunch of tomato paste. And that's, you got to get it water. You got to get the right cons- consistency of water to the tomato, to the, to the oil. And then you add a little water. Then at the end, you start adding paste to thicken it up. But you don't want sauce too thick and you don't want it too watery. Right. So I'm trying to master that. But I, that's all I do is take fresh tomatoes, cut the cap off. Put them cap side down so the flat side's in the oil. And that's how I start all my sauces. I get the oil simmering and then I'll take that and then I'll take my, whether, you know, uh, take a little bit of fresh basil just to start with. I'll add more basil as it goes and a little bit of fresh parsley. So those juices of those greens are cooking into that oil with the tomato. And then you start adding onion because you don't want to burn your onion. Then you start adding garlic because you don't want to burn your garlic. And then you start looking at the water, adding water. Add and paste, add and water, add and paste. But I don't use any tomato sauce. I don't use any diced or stewed tomatoes. You can, yeah, and they can be fine. I mean, you could jar your own tomatoes and use those as your sauce. And then I like making my own pizza sauces and all my own gravies. Do you do you always do a, a meat sauce or you do a little bit of each? I can do vegetable sauce. One of my favorite sauces is just Luciano. You know, Domin. You know, Lorenzo and Domin. Lorenzo. You know the Dominici's. Yeah. Okay. The the dad, Luciano, is a master of pasta sauces. Did he and, have Luciano's up there on Lakeside? Was that him or no? Was that just no, no. These are the Italian kids that lived with us. Oh, and we oh, go over to you, Italy you, to you, see you, them you, all the way. The Dominici's. You know, you got Marco, then you had Lorenzo. Marco, yeah. And their yeah. dad was was Luciano, and their mom was Fausta. And we would, I would just sit there and watch him. Sweat would be dripping off his forehead into the spaghetti pot. Give it a little the salt. The dude was so passionate about cooking. He just, he just an Italian cook. He was badass. But it was so simple. It was just the oil. The tomatoes, the garlic, white onion. And you it's all in how you prep it and you get that consistency of water to oil to sauce to sauce and paste to where it's not too red, it's not too thick. And then you never put your noodles on a plate and then put it on the top of it in a scoop. You dress them with mm-hmm. it. You every piece of the noodle when you serve it should have touched sauce. Yeah. So you pour your noodles in there and you and you dress it and don't over sauce it. Yeah, you boil your you know your noodles are cooked on the side. Yeah, they come out and go into a sauce, just like you said, and yeah. it's and you all take them out a little. You keep them out. You keep, take yeah, them out a little. Yeah, when you get that ladle of sauce on top of bare noodles, it's yeah, yeah. it's not. Man. But you take that noodle out when it's not done all the way, and you let it finish right. in the sauce mm-hmm. to where it's al dente, like perfect noodle. I watched Stefano yesterday bend noodles and slurp them, and like four times before he was ready to serve them. Mm. He would take it out, he'd bend it, he'd hold it, let it cool for a second. <laughs> And then slurp the whole thing and then get a good bite on it and chew it. And just like tasting wine or tasting whiskey, he would make sure his noodle was perfect before he served it. I, I asked him and he goes, there's no excuse. He says, when you are a, a, a chef, which he is, he's got a master's in culinary. He's 
followed Francis Ford Coppola around the world to Italy, to Brazil, or not Brazil, Belize, to Southern California, to all of his restaurants in the Napa Valley and Dry Creek and that whole area of Hillsburg and stuff, and taught and, and works with his crews, his chefs, his menu, all of it. So this guy knows what he's talking about. He says there's no excuse for serving a bad noodle. It's either going to be undercooked or overcooked most of the time. But to get it perfect, al dente makes the pasta experience so much better. Oh, yeah. And I was sitting there yesterday going, I am so glad that I don't, because there's a lot of people that are on this freaking no starch diet. They live by it, like our buddy Rick. And he's a pure Italian. And I'm like, dude, I cannot ever imagine not eating that kind of pasta. I, I, I mean, I don't need to eat a ton of bread. I think bread can really be a killer if you just sit there and nah, bro. We went to Mexican food after the hunt on Saturday. Had I think they ordered four baskets of tortilla chips. I mean, you're just glutton for glutton for punishment, right? Yeah. If I had to give up everything carb wise, it would be hard for me to choose. The final two that I would bring it down to would be pastas, like fresh pastas, whether it's gnocchi or wheat pasta or whatever kind of noodle, and. Uh, what's it called? Sushi rice. What's it called? White rice? No, the rice. What do they call it? Not sushi rice, but what does it call when they make it sweet? Jasmine rice? No, jasmine's the former rice that's grown. I can't believe how much of an idiot I am. What's sushi rice called? Isn't that what it's called? No. It's going to be funny when you find out. Sushi rice. People are going to think I'm an idiot. What is it called? This just says short grain Japanese rice. Yeah, that's what you use. Shari? Sticky rice? Sticky. That's the word. Sticky Uh, rice is what they refer to as sushi rice. So only because of sushi. You don't need a ton of rice. That's what I'm saying. But if I had to give up one of those, I'd give up sushi rice and I'd just eat the raw fish. Yeah. But people that say that, now again, I'm going to get an argument on this, but people that say that nigiri is as good as, nigiri is with rice, right? What's the one without rice? Sashimi. Sashimi is without rice. Nigiri is with rice. Nigiri is a way more enjoyable experience, taste-wise, because of the sugar and the rice mixed with the fish than just a piece of fish is, in my opinion. Now, it's way healthier just to nab the fish. It's way more expensive that way, too. That's why they want you to fill up on the rice, right? Um, that's why most sushi restaurants, except for where we live, are not all-you-can-eat. Right. But even when you go to an all-you-can-eat place, you can't just put the rice in your pocket like I used to try you to do. You can't even leave too much of it on your plate. Yeah, you'll get yeah. busted in yeah. 86th out of there. They'll or, they start charge charging, you, or they start charging Which you, they yeah. should, right? Because yeah. that's expensive, that fish. So that, that would be... I'd probably give up sushi rice or sticky rice before I'd give up, especially after eating Stefano and, and Ray Ray's meal and their mom's meal yesterday. The, the, so did they have loaves of bread? and that they, they had two loaves of the finest French bread or, you know, that style yeah. of baguette that was just unbelievable. They got it's so dialed in down there, dude. Dipping every in- time, every meal they eat as a family, it, it, whether whoever can make it for lunch. And then when lunch was over, they started boxing up leftovers and they brought them to Jules down here at the store that couldn't leave the store brought him one boxed up one for Dante boxed up one for for Ray Ray's wife boxed up one for Stefano's wife and kids I'm just like damn it that culture is what we're missing here in Reno now there's some families that have it I know there are trust me there's Sunday dinners we all do that but that as a whole it was it's just so cool to see that culture of a family sticking together like that and 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 eating together, making sure everybody else is taken care of, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of an Italian thing, right? Because I think everything in in that culture is based around food, right? I mean, I don't I don't know if this isn't a fact, but I, I mean that's where Sunday dinners probably evolved from. But also, it's just an important part of the, in Europe in general. Like the lunch is a, is a more important thing than we have in america you know what i mean they right. like you said they, they make it a point that everyone that can have lunch has lunch and lunch is like an hour and a half to a two-hour deal every day and then yeah they make sure everybody's fed on top of that and you know it's a different it's a, just a whole different way of life you know we 
it, when you're in the work world and you know you you rush your lunch you know you get a half hour lunch if you get an hour you're you know you're you're rushing that and you're right back to work where they go you know lunch takes a while you probably have a couple glasses of wine uh and then you know you go back to work kind of but you know the the day's pretty much over after that you know yeah 100 percent. i think that these guys kind of live that italian mindset of you nap they in the to america you, you know? nap in the afternoon yeah. you're, you're relaxed it's less stress might work till eight o'clock <clears throat> at night i look at him i'm like they're just so happy living this little simple life in this store which is very successful but dude they don't let it become it's not their <laughs> grind you know they don't let it become grinding or high anxiety or high stress they just don't it's just like hey man you come in here you get the oil you got the it's beautiful and it's a lot of work don't get me wrong but they're so laid back and loving and family oriented that nobody's trying to race nobody's trying to get ahead of the, the curve nobody's trying to become a millionaire nobody's it's a different kind of mindset it yeah. really is the business takes care of itself it's a generational business that's been passed down many times and it's been very successful but all of that the way that they take care of each other is why they are able to work together as a family which is a very hard thing to do oh yeah very hard thing to do in life is to be partners or have family involved in your everyday work a lot of families can't do it Couple, a lot it's of hard can. to do yeah 100 percent. it's easier to well you know it you gotta have you gotta have sharp teeth to be the the owner the boss and it's hard to have that with your family or your spouse or your nephew you know the the Revilios here who we were talking about earlier that they didn't originally let rick come just you know jump into the family business and because they knew you know it in my opinion this doesn't come from them but they didn't want those first five years of him out of college you know when he no didn't know what was going because things are going to happen right and you got to be tough on people that work for you that is what it is we can sugarcoat it in our society nowadays but you're going to be tough on people that work for you just how it goes you should be oh exactly your name's right uh, owners and managers have something at stake and people that work for them you know it, it's no one's perfect everybody understands that but when when mistakes happen I, I just was talking to a buddy on the way over here and it's like when you're when you're the boss and people are calling in sick and you got to get things covered and you know it's high stress right and it's you know the, those things come out it's it, the the world isn't all you know roses and kittens dude and when it's your you know family or whatever that you gotta you know quote unquote come down on it's harder to do and it's way harder it's harder to accept when you're on the other end too so it's yeah it's a tough i mean i don't have to tell you and you know it's funny because in a lot of ways they're the best people to have work for you because you'd hope your family isn't stealing from you and stuff like that but in a lot of ways it's the hardest people to have work with you dude yeah, i mean just, even partnerships with good friends are tough oh, business has ruined a lot of good friendships probably more more than they've made i talked to, i i won't say his name but he's got a very successful business with a guy and he's had it for years and the other day he kind of made the comment i can't wait till he retires like hey and, and they're now. multi-millionaires because of each other but they're also tired of each other you the know enemies now yeah because there's always that I'm putting in more new attitude. You're not putting in enough attitude. I'm more risk. I'm I'm working more. You're you're playing more kind yeah. of attitude. You know. You made this mistake even 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. They you, you made that mistake. Cost us you know three million bucks. You know whatever whatever. Just business is tough in general, dude. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I loved about being down there yesterday. Is it kind of lets me pump the brakes a little bit about the importance the the the. I, I love goals and I love seeing things succeed. And that's the thing is that some people have, there's so many different mentalities in business. Like Francis Ford Coppola, right? He has no reason to own restaurants, except he has a huge passion for food. He made enough money in Hollywood with the Godfather's trilogy, with, uh, uh, what's the big war movie he did? Jesus Christ, my mind is not working today. <laughs> What's the the big uh, Francis Ford Coppola war movie? Uh, Not Agent Orange, no, but uh, um, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, the the Godfather trilogy, everything that that man's done, he is a master of his craft, right? Well, as an entrepreneur, he starts thinking out of like, um, Google how old he is, would you? He's got to be eighty something. It's it's actually right up here on my screen. He's eighty three. Okay, eighty three, and you know what he's doing right now? 
Open another restaurant? No, he just opened up production of another movie, his last movie in Atlanta. What's it going to be? I mean, look at Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's like in his 90s. 90, producing, I was going to say he's 90 plus. Producing movies still. Francis Ford movies. Coppola has a wine. Uh, Wineries, yeah. restaurants, freaking, like the guy's a tycoon. Yeah. Um, but at 83, you'd think, eh, I'm not going to be away from my wife. I want to see my grandkids. I don't want to miss anything going on right now. He just opened production for another movie. <laughs> that doesn't mean that he's not going to fly back to California for Christmas or Thanksgiving or a birthday. He's got to be on jets. He's got to be traveling. He's got to be living out of a suitcase. Granted, the guy's got bucks. He probably just has somebody coming and great, tailor yeah. all his clothes there. But again... It's got to be using his mind. He's not relaxing. When you're making a movie, you can't relax. You got to you got to make an ROI. You got to make it for under budget. You got to do things right. High so anyway, stress for a couple the, years. There's different mindsets in the business mold. Where yesterday I'm just like, man, these guys just kind of they take it as it comes. They they they're laid back. They they get it. They go coach basketball on the side. They still do the things they enjoy, and they're not in a big rush to become money driven. You know, and I don't know if I'm money driven per se, but I'm more, I know I'm not money driven. I'm more success of the brand driven. I want to see some brands thrive. Mm -hmm. I really do. I mean, look at what the folks did with Under Armour. You know, look at, look at, uh, look at what Phil Knight did with Nike. Like those guys worked hard, but can you imagine how much fun we've had with this brand in its infancy so far? And think of the 40 or 50 years that Phil Knight has owned. Think of Donald Trump before he ran for president, owning all those casinos and building those brands. Oh, yeah. You know how much fun these guys had and how much time freedom they had? Yep. That's what I love. Well, Nate, you, you, when you do what you love, you know, it's they don't look at it like, I mean, it's work, obviously, but it's not like. It's not like a get up and do a nine to five, you know what I mean? And and right. have your Saturday, Sunday off where you, you get drunk and watch football. Those guys don't do that stuff. They're having they're having fun every day. You know what I mean? You granted you worked all day, did your job all day, then you you have a dinner, you go to dinner. You know, if you think about Trump, think about him owning casinos in the nineties, eighties, nineties in Atlantic City and you know, cruising around and concerts, You're boxing saying, matches. I'd say partying, but you know, he I don't think he's he much a of a party partier, but I mean he's out and socializing and I, I bet you he did some other kind of party, not drug related or high, but I'm sure that he he's got a vice of something. He had really. to have a vice or partook in something. I saw, uh, I just saw Dana White interviewed um, about him and Trump's friendship, and I I didn't know this, but originally the first UFCs nobody would let them into their places. Trump was the first one, and he said both the first UFCs, Trump was at the very first fight and stayed through the entire end of the fight, and he said most of those types of people would never do that you know they would make an appearance and then leave he said he's watched every single fight and he said still to this day 20 years later he calls or texts me when he sees little milestones that the ufc has and you know congratulations you know whatever congratulations on that reebok deal congratulations he said dude he's just he's a friend he's a real friend but he's also a billionaire former president you know friggin whatever just a it's great yeah it's and and People take away what he's done. Like, did he inherit some money? Yeah, but man, look what he turned it into. He, it don't matter. We've yeah. talked about that on the show before. No. You you could you could, you know, on a scalable thing, you could you could inherit two hundred grand tomorrow and you could buy a pickup truck and a freaking and have nothing of yeah, it. Be done. And really to take it and build it into what he did. Yeah, it, it's not you could give me a million, I wouldn't be a billionaire in my lifetime. You know what I mean? I just he's a smart guy. Very smart. He's strategic. He knew what to do. I'm not saying I couldn't make myself comfortable forever, but I could not. I I don't think I could do what he did. And I don't know what kind of an inheritance he got, but who cares? I think it was somewhere between 50 and 100 million, maybe. And there's, hey, there's two guys in our town, and I don't know them personally, but the Harab family, their their dad left them millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, one of them just raced motorcycles with it. Yeah, and they're both pretty much broke, right? I mean, not broke is a relative word, but they're not Donald Trump. They're no. not billionaires. They didn't turn fifty to a hundred million into a billion, which is a huge leap. Huge, huge. Which people, oh, people, yeah. people don't see that. It's easier to lose fifty million on a business ordeal or venture or investment than it is to turn it into a billion. Oh my God! How much is a billion? It's a hundred million. Right? It's a thousand. A thousand million. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand million. Yeah, nine hundred ninety-nine. You know million dollars you'd take one more you're a billionaire and it, it people people really don't realize how big of an achievement it would be to be a billionaire there's yeah. lots of guys that have 50 million and they got a lot of money 
Sure. They buy Lamborghinis and stuff, no doubt about it. But to tap to be a billionaire is huge, dude. Huge. Amazing. Amazing achievement. And I think that that's where I was going. Like, there's just different mindsets. Like, do you want that? Trump wanted that. Yeah. Trump kept pushing and pushing. I mean, Daniel White did too. They got the when him and the Fertitas took over the UFC, it was nothing. They had vision for it. They turned it into something that it was never going to be. Yep. They bought up other companies and franchises. They signed major deals. They got all the good fighters. They got the good referees. They brought women into it with Ronda Rousey and turned that upside down. They worked with Vince McMahon and the WWE and Brock Lesnar and had all those kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did. They got. They took Conor McGregor and made him into this character yep. where the guy doesn't even win fights and he still draws millions and millions of dollars in pay-per-view. Look at the Ultimate Fighter series. They got a reality TV show that, to me, was one of my favorite shows period that oh, you yeah, know, was great in that craze of, of reality tv that the world went through remember the tap Ultimate out Fighter too? was the tap best. out was cool too yeah with the, with the three the three original members of tap out yep. yeah they they i mean it's just a different mindset but being around those italians and there's italians that are probably wired there's a lot of millionaires and billionaires in italy i'm sure, sure. that are wired the same way it just depends on what what person you you know get to meet or whatever but that they had a, a lasting effect on me yesterday of seeing the slowdown at lunch and cooking like that and being able to spend time with family, like they're very fortunate. Not everybody gets that. No. People got to run and gun. People got to hustle and bustle. People are, you know, they don't live in that, that little community where ever, all their kids stayed right there on the same street. Yeah. A lot of times kids will move away. They'll go start families elsewhere. They'll get out of the family business. You know, th- this family is very fortunate that they all stayed right there. There's generations still alive there. They're going to homeschool basketball and football and sporting events. They're, they're cooking for local community events through their store. And people from all walks of life visit that store when they're in Napa. They, they've, it's become a destination to people. Napa's really, you know, a, it's kind of a cool... It sucks it's in California, I guess. It, it's, that's what I say about, like, Chico and places like that, too. California's got a lot of really cool, you know, places in it. And, and then they got a lot of garbage places. But, like, Napa... I hung out with uh, one of one of the families, and actually Sonoma. But he's been there. He's a he's a you know grape. What do they call? Are they grape ranchers, farmers, whatever? They, but he had a, he, and he farmers. has a vineyard and all that stuff. And then he lives right in downtown Sonoma. But same kind of thing. His daughter still. It's like a small community, even though you're surrounded, you know, and you're very close to San Francisco and San Jose and all those big city, you know, type. But you get up to Napa, Sonoma, in that area, it's like a little, you know, cool like farming you know kind of community where like you said all the the kids are still there they're still family values even though it's like this huge destination where people you know come to for the big wine and all there, that dude. stuff big money big money well, tons of lambos and ferraris and all that stuff cruising around but you got this the people that are actually locals there they live you know like a kind of a smaller slower cool life you know oh yeah they do those guys that have those vineyards there's a lot of money involved in it but there's a lot of like i was just with the duckhorn family they sold their wine you know duckhorn mm-hmm. i had duckhorn last night unbelievable people unbelievable duck hunting family conservation the things they do but there's a lot of there's a lot of those businessmen that made their millions elsewhere that went and started the vineyard later too and bought one they wanted to do it or started one and just do it on the side i had a guy tell me to a lunch on friday last week that he goes Wine, wine is just my hobby. It's like Kool Aid to me. When you would make a pitcher of Kool Aid, I mess around with the with the with the the vineyard with my grapes and try to come up with the right consistencies and and, and bottle wine. And some people like it, some people don't. So it's become kind of like a like a hobby to a lot of these people too, to where they might just break even with it, and they're not trying to become the next uh, Robert Mondavi, which his vineyard is absolutely amazing down there. Have you ever visited that? Yeah. Have it's, you? It is nice. That's a freaking. I love that. I love. I've been to Cop. I've been to a lot of them, but Coppola's is my favorite because it's got all the Hollywood. Um, what do you call it? Museum, pretty much. It's got the desk from The Godfather. It's got all the stuff through. It's Pacino good wine, too. Oh yeah, he's got. Well, he owns Inglebrook, and then he's got. And then he sold Coppola. You know. Did he? If I remember right, he sold Coppola. That was the one that was over in Hillsburg or Dry Creek. And then he's still got Inglebrook that's right there in Napa, right there in St. Helena or St. Helena. When we uh we went up and went to the Klein Vineyard and uh that dude we you know because I'm not I'm not a big wine tasting guy, you know. And uh but the people that brought us, you know, they said, Hey, you know, 
Alex isn't a big wine guy, but he likes to shoot and stuff, you know. So I said, oh, well, we'll shoot clays. They said, we go to this, uh, on one of our ranches, we have this little trailer and it's got two throwers on it, you know, and whatever. And so the wine reps, you know, they're, they're, they're there for Jilly, not for me, but I just was tagging along. And so they, they set this thing up for us to shoot clays and, uh, the owner, uh, Mr. Klein comes out and he's like a 50 something year old kind of dude, like a rancher guy. And, uh, he's talking to everyone. Hey, you know, and pulls out his can of Copenhagen, puts a dip in, you know, and he's like, what are you guys, what are you guys drinking out here? You know, they had a bunch of wine and stuff. And he's like, ah, I'm, I'm not having wine right now. Goes to his pickup truck, you know, pulls a beer out of the cooler in the back. And I'm like, gee, you got another beer in there. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, so we're having a beer and he goes, uh, and you guys come over to the house tonight before you go to dinner. And, went to his house later that night and he had a, you know, wine with no labels on him, his own kind of just a, but just a cool, like be like your uncle, you know, if your uncle was a wine, you know, farmer, but, right. but just a different scenario, you know, we, we know all these cattle ranchers and stuff that you wouldn't bat an eye at that. You're on this guy's, you know, multi-million dollar winery and all the grapes growing him, but he's a farmer, you know, he's just a regular farmer. Like the guys we know really cool. Yeah. They, I don't know if I've ever met anybody in the, wine business that doesn't have that kind of same approach they want you to taste their wine they want you to like their wine they're not going to be hurt if you don't because everybody's got their own palate right but they want to see the evolution of it they want to i think a lot of them are interested in the science of it like from beginning to end on how to turn that land into a productive bottle of wine from the soil to the the water lines to the predator management. They got a huge, you know, predators are a huge thing with oh, skunks yeah. or badgers or coyotes going in there and chewing up all their water oh, lines no, and destroying the drip lines, the, the drip yep. lines and everything. So they're, they're constantly battling that. So they're like the whole story and how it all comes into fruition to go into that bottle. I think that's what intrigues people. Because again, if you're big time and you've made a lot of money, why would you want to go do that? It could be a write-off, it's hard, but it's though, a lot yeah. of stress. It's a lot of work too, man. And it's never ending. Once, yeah. once the harvest is done, it's time to start thinking about the next one. Well, dude, they're they're They, protect those old vine you know the old growth vines like frick they, they don't want to grow new vine they don't the grapes that come off of new vines are not the same as old vines exactly so when it's freezing and you know well it's like rocky and his ammons you know they're flying helicopters over him trying to protect the freeze and like you said it's just stress those dudes wake up every day and like you said you got to check fences you got to check drip lines you know they're they're protecting cattle they're protecting grapes they're protecting ammons they're you know it's like a non-stop stress of protecting your you could say investment but those dudes they don't look at cows and grapes and all that like an investment you know that's th there's more passion in it than that you know they, that's like they're almost like they're kids you know it's like if it was just about money they wouldn't do it you know 100 yeah, percent. And, and i think that when you have that property and you have that overhead you're gonna have you gotta you have to turn a profit you sure. have to get you have to get i'm talking there's a lot of guys down there that i don't know that they're really in the commercialized wine game. There are people down there like Mondavi and whether it's, uh, oh God, what's the big one down there? Come on, dude. What's the big one? I just drove by it yesterday. That's everywhere. Like they produce massive volumes of wine for supermarkets and shit. Like they got to stay on their game. They can't, oh, yeah. they got a board of directors the now. The big volume that, stuff. Yeah. yeah. The big volume stuff. And they like Kendall Jackson. Yeah, Kendall and Jackson. Yeah. That's one right there. We drove right by it yesterday and they got, they got they're in every store that you go in. Oh, yeah. So they can't drop the ball. They they got board of directors now. A lot of them have gone public. You know, they've they're owned by big conglomerates. So there there's a lot to be said about the guys that stay small and just do it as a passion. And and Napa Valley's full of that. There's places you oh, can yeah. go visit and buy become a member of a wine club and and have a good wine and you might never see it at retail. Yeah. You may never see it at, you might see it in a restaurant. You might see it at a local restaurant in Chico or Sacramento, but you might never see it at Costco. You know, a lot of a lot of wines don't hit the retail shelves. They truly don't. I think some of them don't even want them to, right? Yeah, they don't even want to. If you got it, you got it. They can't. I mean, that you it, to get that big, you got to have a ton of money. Yeah. You got to have a ton of grapes. You got to have a ton of employees. You got to make a ton of wine. Yep. And some people just stay small, stay more reserved, and they make more profit on their bottles of wines enough to make a living. And maybe one day they'll win some wine awards and then they get bought up by a bigger vineyard, maybe make some money off it. Yeah. I don't know exactly how it works. I just know that all, most of the guys that, that own vineyards and wineries that I've met are very 
passionate about it and laid back. Like if you take the family that owns Hunter Glen, the family that we work with, HG, if you work with that, if you meet, go and sit down with that family, workaholics. I mean, they are, they have a huge passion for wine. They didn't have to do it. They took a huge risk and went out on their own. They used to kill the land for other vineyards and work and manage wineries and vineyards and grapes and all that. Now they're all on their own. They're responsible for a hundred percent of their revenue and income. Mm. So when you start talking to Jeffrey and his sister and all of them, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. Oh, yeah. You don't sleep very good either because you're thinking, what if the water's not getting on them? What if all these vineyards, I mean, some of them have lost their all their grapes through drought or or a mistake being made. Yep. It's a lot of stress. Pest, fire. They got a lot of- a lot of Fires, all that stuff. A lot of the natural disasters that, you know, insurance don't pay for, those guys are looking at every single day, you know? 100%. Well, look at the heat. Just- Napa this year alone, you know, they're still touching 100 degree temperatures all the way into October. That's not, I mean, I don't imagine that's good for them. I don't, it might not affect them too much, but. I think that, I think that as far as the weather goes, they're in the perfect environment. That's why it's there. Yeah. The soil, the, the, the year round weather there, the rainfall, being that close to the bay and the ocean, the air, all of that. There's a reason why Napa's Napa. Yeah. There's a reason why that's not being done. There's a little one in Santa Barbara. There's one in Washington. There's little ones in Georgia. But Napa is the wine capital of the world. If I mean, America, if not the world. I know that every country, Chilean wine, Italian, obviously Spain, tons of, com- tons of countries have vineyards. But Napa is like the perfect position place i from what i've read and what i've educated myself on for wine and yes when the temperatures stay too hot it's not good for the vineyards or for or probably more for business right because they're using more water and i don't know i mean yeah i don't know i don't know as far as business goes i think that that valley is is i don't know you know i'm talking pre-covid how we measure everything now the income and tourism in that valley is through the freaking huh, roof it's insane through the freaking roof the hotels can't get a room. You're you got to book out in advance. Then can't you got the wine. Taxi. You got the wine train. <laughs> you got yeah. Uber's come along and helped out. But to visit those vineyards the right way, you got to have you have to have a game plan and a strategy. Oh, yeah. And it's nice to know somebody to get in the back door a little bit because, yeah. dude, you go in there, you'll spend a lot of money at every vineyard, and then you start buying wine. You become members of wine clubs. Now, I think it's a cool experience. But here's the other thing about wine, is that wine is like a bloody mary to me. Yeah, I, I don't want a lot of it either. I just, I, I get fired up for it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then halfway through the first glass, I'm like, eh. I never, I very rarely, if ever, feel that way with whiskey. I did it with tequila. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this tequila kit. Clay's doing it. You know, I like a good margarita once in a while. Skinny margarita, low sugar. Um, lasted three weeks. Yeah. I'm like, uh, and that, that's the thing about spirits is that, um, you know, to each their own. But man, I get vodka and gin and wine like i i like the idea even beer you love beer clint loves beer i don't look at a black and tan or a guinness or an ipa and get all fired up i'm not that guy that goes to the bar and goes what do you got on tap i go, yeah, just give I me know. a bottle of Bud light give me I'm a bottle of Bud light. i get fired up for yeah a certain kind of beer you know that yeah i'm a light beer in high quantities high guy. quantities <laughs> are you high quantities every time pretty much i mean i can do i can have one or two but I don't like, I'm like you, I don't want to know what the latest craft beer is and I don't care what's on tap. I order the same beer pretty much everywhere I go. Everywhere. Now, if I go to Italian dinner, I will drink a Peroni. If I go to sushi, I'll drink a Sapporo, you know, but yeah. I'm if, the same way. If, if we Peroni's go Peroni's good. Over there at the Italian festival, did you have one that day? I love it. Yeah. I have that on tap. Yeah. But that's how kind of, I guess like wine is for me too, is it's like, if I go to the North Beach restaurant in San Francisco, I could drink two bottles of wine. And, I, and or, if, you know, if we do like an Elks dinner and we're all cooking, I, I can sit there and drink a ton of wine. But I would never go to a bar. What's an Elks dinner at the Elks Club? Yeah. You guys cook there? Yeah. What do you mean? We do a bass dinner. And the other night I helped them with their Italian dinner. Who's we do it? Me and Frankie and my dad. and Was Wade Dude there? Anton- no, they come, but they don't cook. Your dad was there? Nah, he hasn't been for a little bit. But Is he doing all right? Yeah. He is? Mm-hmm. Frankie. Fucking, I love Frankie's attitude. He's a hell of a cook, dude. Is he really? Oh, yeah. No way. Oh, my God. Well, he went to culinary school and stuff. Oh, we got to cook with him. Oh, yeah. He's he's good. He does, What's his he, specialty? He leads, the, uh, he leads the show at the Elks things. He does? Yeah. I've seen him cook everything, dude. 
He went fishing the other day and made fish tacos. They were good. We did the Italian dinner. He did um uh, did chicken, right uh, chicken piccata. He made the sauce, did the did the chicken breast, did all that stuff. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Man, he's trained. He worked at the Roxy at the El Dorado. Worked at the uh He he got out of that to go be a realtor? He what got out of it before that. Um the Hardy House. Yeah, he he cooked a lot. He, he he'll but he'll be we've talked about it before. It's, it's hard, dude. Cook till midnight, then you want to go out and blow off steam, so you're out till three o'clock in the morning, then you gotta be up back in the kitchen at eleven o'clock. And the, they're just it's a Anthony Bourdain he'd tell you the same thing, man. It's a the kitchen life's a tough life, dude. He would tell me the same thing. Well, he wouldn't anymore, but what happened to him? Killed himself. I know why. Probably a lot of it because of that. Any it's idea? It's a lonely why? life, dude. Being a cook is a lonely life. Really? Hundred percent. You're in a, in a you know if you're in a busy restaurant as as a as a chef cook whatever like a, you you grind your you grind your you're under constant high stress and then you get off work late. All of them go to a bar pretty much. They have a drink, have a whatever. You stay out too late. You got to be back in the kitchen, you know, cooking again at eleven o'clock, which. You know, you got to be there at nine o'clock in the morning, whatever. And then breakfast cooks are even worse because they're there at like two or three in the morning to prep for breakfast. Then you're off in the middle of the day when nobody else is off. So you go to a bar by yourself or whatever. And it's hard. It's hard. They're getting critiqued all the time. Every think, oh, speaking yeah. of that, thinking of that, the two movies that come to mind are The Chef with with John Favreau, yep. where he gets quits Dustin Hoffman's five star French restaurant because of the critic, yep. gets all wound tight, loses his temper. Gets a food goes, truck, right, or whatever. Goes into depression, doesn't have a woman, trying to raise a son, always fights with his ex-wife. Then, obviously, it's Hollywood, and he finds love. He finds, rekittles his love with some woman in Miami with a food truck and a Cubana sandwich. But he was stressed and yeah. depressed. And then the other one, do you remember a movie where it's uh, Bradley Cooper is a chef, and he comes back, and he's like an alcoholic, and is it called Chopped? Is there a movie? Have you seen that movie called Chopped? It, it, it is ringing a bell to me. Um, Bradley Cooper. Dude, when are we going to get a fact checker? We had Jack for a little bit. Chef movie. Burnt. 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 Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. So again, wants to be get his... his his flair back as a chef. People don't respect him anymore. They say that they he low balled them. That he cut, you know, he cut their knees out. Drugs and alcohol. He he, abu- yeah. he talks down to his sous chefs and just abuses them. Drugs and alcohol because and he's been critiqued all the time and he wants to be the best. Yeah, maybe you're right. Cooking is a some bitch. It, there's a uh, there's a series right now called The Bear. I can't remember if it's on Hulu or Netflix or what, but it's about a. A dude's brother who had a chopped beef restaurant in Chicago, he kills himself, leaves the restaurant to his brother who's at a Michelin star restaurant cooking, and he tries to basically kind of bring that Michelin star attitude to this chopped beef restaurant. But it's all the it's all the stress and high pressure of a kitchen, you know, all the different, like you said, sous chefs and dishwashers and the, you know, the pastry guy and the, you know, the sauce girl and all, and just all of them fighting. And then, you know, he's in rehab already. His cousin who's there's a, you know, druggy alcoholic there. It's, it, it's crazy. That's, it, it's not a stereotype. It's probably the norm. And it's because it is a, it's a, it's just a different, it's a lonely, stressful life, dude. Bourdain talked about it all the time. I just started watching his shows. They're on, on, uh, they're either on Hulu or Netflix right now. What does right he now. say about it? He's the same thing. It's a lonely life, dude. Filled with depression and loneliness and stress and anxiety and that guy had all he had the world by the balls. Right. It seemed like. But you know what's funny, man? Go back and watch his shows. When you watch the the first, you know, episodes of uh No Reservations, he's an alcoholic, you know, he's freaking dude. He, he, but later tra- on, later on, didn't he get healthy and get into jujitsu? And I think he'd he go into Rogan and tell me he was getting his black belt in jujitsu, and then all of a sudden he uh, Maybe he fought so many demons that that he had to end it all. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to put it. I think, like you said, he even though he maybe came out of the dark tunnel, he just couldn't get rid of the demons. But yeah, he's and that's a lot of them, dude. 
I talked to a kid the other day that he was at a Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco. He has a knife shop here in town now. But that was why he left. Same thing, dude. He's like, man, he's just, you're in the kitchen and getting your ass kicked all night long. And then you're at a bar by yourself or with your kitchen buddies. And you just wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over. And over. it just grinds you down into nothing, dude. And then a lot of them either can't get away from it or, you know, they, they have to get out of the industry altogether. Is that why you think Frankie got out? Yeah, I he'll, he would tell you the same thing. I mean, he I don't he wasn't doing drugs and stuff, but he was drinking. You know, he was definitely he's in his twenties. You know, so he's hitting the bars. But he said it was super lonely. You know, like you're not gonna find a girlfriend that you know works a nine to five that wants to be with a chef that gets home at three o'clock in the morning. You know, and then is gone all day and all night again to cook again. And you know, he said it just sucked. Hmm. And you and you work a ton. You know that 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 business hasn't changed as far as the back of the house. Those dudes all work so much because there's very few of them. So in rest, most restaurants till COVID, like you said, pre-COVID, there's seven days a week. Most of them do lunch and dinner, right? There's very few just dinner houses. And so you're working to do lunch and dinner is an eight-hour job in and of itself. You got to prep and you got to clean. So you got 12, 14-hour days minimum. And if you're the owner, you're screwed. If you, you want to be, be successful. Part, if you're there for all that. Yeah, I wonder how your dad does it. Your father-in-law, father, stepdad, whatever you call him. <laughs> he works 16 hours a day, dude. That's how he does it. So that's the only way. Do you think that's why he's so angry with me all the time? Because he's the back of the house shit? Yeah. He's really? got, no, it's all the house when you're the owner. He teased me like 40 times, probably 35 times in front of my friends and girlfriend the other night. Right. That's his. That's how he Is shows that you how much he loves you, you know? I don't know If he didn't that. mess with you, he didn't like you. That that's an old adage, you know. If yeah. I didn't make fun of him, and I didn't know you. I showed uh, him a picture that Dallimore, that Dallimore. Um, I text this to your dad, or I keep calling him your dad, your father-in-law. Nobody loves the Dallimore uh, line, you know, that you were his biggest recruiting mistake. Look at that painting. Oh, that's so badass. Yeah, it's going in my shadow box. Who made that? Or a who? guy, a guy painted it for Freddie right up in that umpire's oh, dish. Yeah. Um, the worst recruiting mistake he ever made. JP loves that story more than you probably. Oh, dude, love I was it. over there the other night. I was in the restaurant, and um, Coachy walks in, and I, I get up and hug him and shake his hand, and he he makes a joke. You know, he saw me eating the ice cream. He's like, "Hey, you need to do a few more pushbacks." <laughs> 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 and. Uh, I love him. But um, your dad, come, your father-in-law come running up to me and say, give me that phone. I got to show him the, I got to show him the video of the jersey. Cause I showed your, I showed JP the jersey of Freddie signing the jersey. You're the biggest recruiting mistake I ever made. <laughs> Freaking the shadow box is going to be sick, huh? Oh man. Have you seen it? No. Look at this. Did you guys find your picture of George signing that bat? I have it. How cool is this going to be? College aluminum bat signed by Freddie. Not one of your bats, just the one you got. Right there, red and white, UNLV bat. Oh, nice. My college glove, my golden glove Rawlings, signed by Freddie. I had him sign it in a, in a gold Sharpie. See his name on there? Yeah. Fred Dallimore says, best of luck, Coach D up here. And then it's got a picture of me and my dad at UNLV in my uniform. The picture of Coach with the umpire. Me and Coach in the parking lot after lunch. And then the jersey. Biggest recruiting mistake I ever made. And then the baseball signed by Freddie. Is that your real jersey? No, that's his jersey. Oh, his jersey. That's Dallimore's jersey, number 13. Do you not have any of your... Yeah, I got mine, but I didn't want mine. I don't care about having my name up there. I wanted his number 13. Because he... thats I mean, that's a perfect number for his attitude back in the day. Yeah, (laughs) unlucky 13. Maybe that painting should have him up there on the light pole or whatever, wherever he hit out. What did he do when he got ejected that time? Didn't he climb the light pole? Climb the light pole, yeah. Or you go down the uh, the bullpen, put the catcher's gear on, act like you catch with a right-handed glove, and then take it off and throw it back left. All this shit. Freaking guy, freaking dude, he did so much stuff. No, I don't know that we didn't we didn't really have a topic today. What's the topic we're going to break down on the next episode that we were going to get into today? We'll actually break God, something. The internet out. experts, I can't wait to have it. What is it? The again? internet experts. What was the email I sent? Well, dude, there's there. Uh, I mean, I think you posted like a a, a cooking segment on one of your things and there's like nine million michelin star chefs out there in the world that oh have, yeah just chewed me up oh my god oh, yeah just ate my lunch 
It's embarrassing. It's got like 700,000 views on one little mallard duck recipe. And they're just lighting me up. You burnt it. Well, yeah. it sucks. Where's the skin? Where's the legs? Yeah. Where, Where you... Why do you cook its feet? That orange stuff comes off and tastes great. It's like, dude, <laughs> I, you can't help but just uh, you can't, hate it, people, dude. I know. Hate it's people. Like, I just look at it and sometimes I want to get back at them and be like, climb up out of your mom's basement and turn the oven on and try this yourself if you're so good. But again... It's like how how much time do you want to waste on them? Right. I wish I could answer None. every one of them and tell them what I think. Here's 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 a here's a comment that I would take to heart. Hey, I tried this recipe and whatever. I didn't like it. I did. Yeah. But not one single one of those people tried that recipe no. and then said, "Hey, by the way, if you didn't uh, you know, if you would have whatever, whatever the comment is, but there's zero there's zero base for what they say." Yeah, had, I, I I honestly was going after a flash fried, flash fried Asian sesame duck. And that's exactly what I did with that meal. And I did it through intuition of, okay, I want to have a little smoke on it. I want it to have a little tiny bit of smoke on it. So I put a little smoke on a Traeger on it. And then I do this with the press. And they're like, you don't press your protein. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Have you ever heard of a smash burger? Have you ever heard of a a press steak? Uh, uh, uh. Then they get on me for that. And then I finish it. And a real, real high heat wok to get that char on it, to get, after I slice it, after I press it. So it's got some bite. So like you cooked that duck three times. There's no way it's worth it. You burnt it. You did all this. I'm like, dude, everybody that ate it, Eli, Jack, Clay, everybody's like, oh my God, that's good. With sesame seed on it. I guarantee it was Green onion. People are like, dude, I'd lose my mind over that shit. We pressed the duck breasts breasts in Idaho for all that food we ate and they're unbelievable. All of them. And they all got Traeger smoke and then finished in a pan and press it. But- that's for another day because you could talk for an hour. But it's just, it's more of the decline of our, I don't know, society, but also just that we've given everybody this megaphone to be able to just, like I said, it, instead of saying, oh, you can Some take constructive. You, I, I could take the, the, the criticism of, hey, you know, whatever. Chad, I bought one of your hats. It didn't quite fit right. You know, whatever. Not my favorite hat. You could, you could totally take that and go, eh, maybe we need to look at a new hat guy. But to just simply look at someone's video and go, that's bullshit. You know, you press that too long. That's over. It's overcooked. You never put the onions in and before the garlic. I mean, it's like, try it. Yeah. And then go ahead and say, hey, here's an honest review. I'll take that. You could take that from anybody. But to just simply look at a video and go, no, all wrong. I just want, yeah, just come, just come eat. Come eat some just of it. Just come eat some of it. Tell me that you want me to send you some. I'll package some right. up. Then they'll be like, yeah, I got sick. I'm suing you because yeah. it's wild yeah. duck. Yeah. Can't. I don't know. I, 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 I'm just going to keep doing it and doing my best. And if it if people like it, then they can uh, they can say it's good things. And most people have nothing but bad things to say because they don't try it. They don't think outside the box to cook like that. No. And that recipe, I'm being honest, 100% was amazing. Blew my mind. Don't, amazing how good it was. Doubt it. And I did it in like eight minutes. You, you do remember that it, probably ten years ago, the only way anybody ever ate a duck was to make a popper, popper. out of it. Yeah, because no, because nobody. That was the biggest misconception amongst even duck hunters. Everybody loved the duck hunt, but ducks t- they don't taste good. They taste like liver. They taste like mud. They taste like whatever because nobody knew how to cook them. That wasn't that long ago. Yep. So the fact that. You're cooking food, you know. I've had a ton of it, and it's all good. Have yet to have a piece that I didn't like, but it's well, just. Thank you. I'm going to yeah. keep doing it. I'm cooking tonight. As you should. <clears throat> AAB tri tips. I need some ice cream. I'm having a little birthday dinner tonight. I didn't get a birthday present from you. It was last Friday, my birthday. You didn't get the video I sent. I don't care about a video. No. I need a present. <laughs> it was People give me a card with no money in it. I'm like, what am I going to do with this card? Just, just tell me what you think of me. What are you twelve? Yeah, what are you twelve? Like, if I'm filling around in there for gift cards and Do like that, that shy little, I'm looking for the money. But I don't even open it. If I don't feel different texture, oh, right in trash. I don't want to get a paper cut opening the envelope. It's true. It can happen. Breaking it down, Chad and Alex. This life ain't for everybody. Thank you, Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never ever allow underage drinking. Just got back from Lynchburg, Tennessee. I know you guys heard us talk about it. We're going to break down that event soon. An amazing time, an amazing culture. Jack Daniels, the home of Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, the 2022 Jack World Barbecue Invitational. Absolutely unbelievable. I was honored to be asked to be a judge. 
Loved every bit of it. Today's episode of the podcast, Breaking It Down, This Life Ain't For Everybody, is also brought to you by our friends at Sig Sauer, the one and only Sig Sauer. Stay free. Protect our freedoms. Protect our family, our communities, our homes, our dwellings. I want to live forever. I don't want a mistake to happen. I want to make sure that my family's protected. Open carry, concealed weapon, CCWs. Be responsible. Get to know your gun. Have confidence. Never make a mistake. Never take it for granted. Keep your guns locked up. Sig Sauer promotes all of this. They protect our culture. They believe in our culture. Thank you, Sig Sauer, for being a presenting sponsor of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Flask Cap, the Matic 6, the Matic 9, the Fun Button, the Tumblers. Check them out at flaskcap, F-L-A-S-K-A-P.com. Get you one right now. We got the new Foul Life Edition out there, the new Retriever Series that yours truly, I guess I couldn't say yours truly, but ours truly, Tom Rashashin designed. His artwork is engraved on there. You got the standard, the Foul Life logo on there. We are getting huge results. We also have the Mallard setting into the Decoys Cup in there. Everybody's loving the Foul Life Edition. Flask Cap, the Matic 6, the Matic 9, the Fun Button. Again, enjoy your spirits responsibly, no matter what that spirit might be. Thank you, Flask Cap, for believing in our culture. In today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, Breaking It Down series, last but not least, is brought to you by Napa Valley Olive Oil. You heard us talk about them here on the show today. Thank you to Ray Ray. Thank you, Stefano, Jules, Dante, every the entire crew, Leonora, everybody down there in the Napa Valley. Thank you for the support in the culture and thank you for the great products at your store and the best olive oil to cook with in the history of the world. Napa Valley olive oil. We're going to be using some tonight on reverse sear method on these American almond beef tri-tips. I cannot wait. Thank you, Napa Valley Olive Oil. If you get a chance, visit AmericanAlmondBeef.com. We have brand new prime cuts in the store right now in the butcher shop. The tri-tips, the ribeyes, the sirloins, the New Yorks, the filet mignons, the ribs, the Asian ribs, the briskets, and the world-famous American Almond Beef Burger. It's all in stock right now at AmericanAlmondBeef.com. Look for it at your local restaurant. We're going into more and more establishments every day. Thank you so much for the support of that. Thank you for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody, breaking it down with Chad Belding and Alex Crosby. Y'all take care. We're going out with a little Brent Cobb. Morning's going to come. Queens has its show.